Jeremiah chapter 33. We're going to read the first five verses this evening here. Starting in the first verse of Jeremiah 33, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time, while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it, to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city, and concerning the houses of the kings of Judah, which are thrown down by the mounts and by the sword. They come to fight with the Chaldeans, but it is to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I have slain in my anger. And in my fury, and for all whose wickedness I have hid my face from this city. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are comforted by your words this evening that you are a God who hears prayers. You're a God who answers prayers. You're a God who not only hears prayers and answers prayers, but shows us things that are far beyond our understanding. And further showing us, you are the only one to go to with our prayers. Lord, I pray that you'll open our eyes to your word this evening. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. Be with those who are next door teaching the classes. Lord, we pray that this evening a soul will be saved. We give great thanks, Lord, for bringing our beloved missionary home to begin to plant this work in Cincinnati. Lord, we pray that you refresh them, give them strength as they begin to move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever pondered and meditated about the thought that all throughout Scripture we are offered up matters that existed before and after prayer. We're faced with many, many different believers who faced issues, and they seem to be overwhelming at times. But after the matter, the matter after the prayer, seems to be all the difference in the world. You know, when it came to Elijah, it was the prophets of Baal that was mocking the true living God. But the the matter after prayer, God answered Elijah's prayer and fire fell down from heaven and all the prophets of Baal were able to see who the true and living God was. For Hezekiah, the matter for Hezekiah was that the Sennacherib and the Assyrian army stood outside of Jerusalem's walls, but the matter after prayer proved out that God would slip out and kill some 250,000 of the Assyrian army. When you read Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, the matter for the disciples was that the Jews were threatening against them. Uh, the matter for the disciples was that the Jews were seeking to bring the disciples to a place that they would not speak. But in, but in Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, it says that after prayer, the matter was solved because the place was shaken and the disciples were filled with boldness to preach the gospel. 
And when you read 1 Samuel chapter 1, the matter for Hannah was that she couldn't have a child. She was barren. But the matter after prayer proved out that God heard Hannah's prayer and she was given a child. The matter for Elizabeth and Zechariah, when you get into the New Testament, was that they desperately wanted a child. And when the angel appeared unto Zechariah, it wasn't, hey, we came up with a great idea. We decided to bless you. No, the angel appeared unto Zechariah and said, the Lord has heard your prayer. And the Lord answered their prayer and gave them a child. When you read in the Old Testament, even about Jabez, the matter for Jabez was that he wanted to expand his borders. It was after Jabez prayed. It was after this time of prayer that God heard Jabez's prayer on the matter, and God answered his prayers. Throughout the entire Bible, all 66 books, God has time after time showed us as his children how he handles matters after prayer. If we're all truthful this evening, we all have matters that we've taken before the Lord. Though we know that we are all maybe even facing matters this evening, it's not the it's not the focus of the sermon tonight to focus on the fact that we're facing matters. We discussed this on Sunday evening, whether you're going in a storm, whether you're in a storm, or whether you're coming out of the storm, whether you're in the will of God, whether you're out of will of God, we know that no matter what in this life, we will face matters. We will face storms. We have seen this, that there is no canceling our appointments with trouble. That's bad news, isn't it? You can't cancel your appointment with trouble. No matter how much you try, problems are waiting for you. We like to live in a preventative world. We like to think that we can prevent problems, that we can prevent troubles, that we can prevent issues in our life, but that's just not how life works. So the return for this is because we can't prevent problems, because we can't prevent troubles, because we can't prevent issues, God commands all of us to call unto him because he can solve our issues. Not too long back, I had to go pick up a part from a parts store. And as I went there to pick up the part from the parts store, I questioned the part that they had given to me. Well, the... Part clerk said, if you have any issues with this part, call me. Any issues at all? Well, I took the part back to where I was working, and I fooled with it, I fooled with it, and I fooled with it, and I began to find myself even more and more and more frustrated to the point that I felt like I was ready to break, and I waited till I was at my wit's end to finally to call the man. He told me to bring the part back. When I brought the part back, he gave me the right part. At this point, I believed that I had the most defective part in the entire world. When he gave me the new part, he leaned over the counter, maybe sensing my frustration, sensing how emotional I was. And he said to me in real slow words, if you have any issues, call me right away. When I left home, 
when I left there headed back home, I was kind of irritated that he talked to me like I would talk to my kids when they were when I'd be irritated with them that they were not listening. But as I drove home, his point really settled in on me. The reason that I was frustrated, the reason that I was exhausted, the reason that I was so emotional is because I didn't listen to what he said. Call me if you have issues. At the onset of issues, call me. If you think something ain't working out, call me. Just look me up and I'll keep you from being frustrated. I'll keep you from being emotional. In Jeremiah chapter 33 and what we see in these first five verses, the Bible says that Jeremiah had found himself in prison and God had come to Jeremiah the second time. God comes to Jeremiah the second time to remind him while he's in prison, Jeremiah, before you find yourself in a situation where you're overwhelmed, before you find yourself in a situation where you're frustrated, or maybe you're exhausted in ministry, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God is telling Jeremiah, yeah, you're bounded prison in this, but don't forget, Call me if you have issues. Don't forget, Jeremiah, if you find yourself frustrated, look to me, call on to me, and I will answer thee. What a guarantee. What a guarantee that we all have even in our own lives. This is not a promise that was given just to met Jeremiah that God will answer our prayers, that God will hear our prayer or hear Jeremiah's prayers, but this is the promise even unto us. Have you ever thought about this time of prayer that we have here or even in the time that we have in prayer at home that when we bow our knees or when we close our eyes and we beckon God's throne that God is on the other end of the line? He doesn't have an angel pick up and say, take a post-it note for me. We don't reach a voicemail machine. Nothing. God is on the other line here in my petition. And he ushers himself to the phone. No matter what the issues, God says, I can help you through. This is God's word to Jeremiah, and this is God's word to us also. He not only knows how to help our problems, but he knows better about our problems. You know, when we look to the psalmist and when we read Psalms chapter 46 and verse 1, we love that verse. God is our refuge and strength. But that's not really what makes the verse great to me. What makes the verse great to me is the second part of the verse, a very present help in time of trouble. Now that's what makes it good, is that in the trouble, in the trial, that God is present with us. The presence of our divine ally provides sufficient resources for every struggle we are in. I was speaking to a pastor this morning who was telling me about issues that he was going through in his new church plan. He was going through and he was just really worked up about the situation as a whole. He said, brother, if it was not for the grace of God, I would have handled this situation differently. If I wouldn't have took the time to pray about this situation, it would have turned out completely different. I thought this is a great recognition of our own 
fragility, so to say, how fragile we are with our emotions, but it is a great promotion to the reality about how God helps his children manage bad situations. God, and after prayer in our own life for Jeremiah here in Jeremiah chapter 33, God was offering up to Jeremiah, I'm going to help you go the second mile. You're in prison the second time, but I'm going to help you go the second mile. But it was only after prayer. God tells Jeremiah, come on. And even in our own life, when we face people who are our own spiritual enemies, we can't even imagine loving them. But after prayer, the matter seems to change. We can't understand how we'll forgive people, but after prayer, everything seems to change. We can't even understand how we can love and care for those who despitefully use us and persecute us. Yet after prayer, everything seems to change. Isn't that what we see when recorded in Acts chapter 16 about Paul and Silas and Philippi? They were locked up in prison, cursing the prison guards, cursing them and whipped them. They was locked up in prison, and after whooping excursion, they sang and praised and lifted up a joyful noise unto the Lord. But what a minute, you was persecuted. Yeah, but after prayer, that's what it says. It says, and they prayed and sang and made a joyful noise unto the Lord. Prayer will cause us to live a life where we count it all for joy. Prayer will cause us to give thanks in all circumstances. Prayer will cause us to rejoice even when we face persecution. But how do we get there? How, how do we get to a place where we forgive enemies? How do we get to a place where we love our enemies? Well, it's that on the onset of battle, we call unto God. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which Thou knowest not. This is what makes us different. And this is what makes us different in the world, that how we face our battles. Is it not? I mean, isn't this what makes it so hard for us to understand when we think about the epistle written of joy? We say, oh, wow, yes. Man, the, the Philippians is a joy-centered epistle. We get that. We love it. Paul's joyful. But we struggle when we say that the prizzle, the, the prizzle, the epistle that's written on joy is also a, is an epistle. Well, that seems to bring confusion to us. You see, Paul, because of prayer, when you read Philippians chapter 1 and the first six verses, the reason that Paul brings out through the next four chapters praising God is because he starts off in the first six verses praying unto God. Prayer changes you. Paul had decided, even though he was in prison, that he wasn't going to let the temperature of the prison affect him. He was going to let his temperature affect the prison. He was going to let his dependency on the Lord change everyone around him. Matter of fact, when you sum it up in the fourth chapter of Philippians in the 12th and 13th verse, if you was to say, Paul, how are you doing in prison? Are you really discouraged? Are you really down? He said, 
I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed to both be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. My position was that the only reason he was a joyful man is because he called unto God. God heard his prayers. Notice also, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Call unto me. This wasn't a passing thing for Jeremiah. God didn't say, if you get a free moment. He didn't say, if you get around to this, God's command to Jeremiah about this situation was to pray. Call unto me. This is God's command to each and every one of us about matters. Call. It is a command. Call unto me and I will answer thee. This isn't just some kind of Old Testament offering where man needs communion with God. No, man is in desperate need of communion with God all throughout all of creation. Matter of fact, what did the Lord tell the disciples in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7? Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be open, uh, given, un, open unto you. Matter of fact, it goes even Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. James chapter 5 and verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. This is, this is not just one-sided. Know this. God didn't just command you and me to pray because he's God. Though if that was the command alone, that is sufficient enough. If we were commanded to pray to him and there was nothing in return, he is God and he still deserves our prayer. But he says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee. This is the confidence that we even have in him. That's what 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 says, right? This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. This is the same confidence that we have. In truth, is a command. But in reality, it is an expression of our dependence Upon God. And if God commanded it and we do not heed it, get this. If God commanded us to pray about the matters of our life and we do not heed it, by our silence, we are proclaiming louder than ever that we do not need God's aid. Matter of fact, our silence proves out our theology. Our silence is a slander against God and his omnipotence, his power to overcome the matters in our life. Who would have thought that silence would be such a slander against God? But for someone who professes faith in Christ, I believe it's one of the worst slanders because it shows our lack of faith towards him. I guess we could just say we say the most about our spiritual lives when we say nothing to God at all. We need desperately to have a divine perspective about God as our heavenly father. We need that. My son turned seven today. 
It's his birthday. I realize I'm getting old. But you know what? Last night, he climbed up into the bed. And he smiled at me as I was sitting there looking on my phone with my earbuds in. And he began to list to me all the things that he wanted for his birthday. Did was a list from here to the moon and back. He didn't get that list, by the way. But when he gave me that list, I didn't look at him and say, you spoiled little brat. You climbed up into my bed asking me for all these things because what, it's your birthday? Smile. I lavished in the moment. It worked in my heart because, not because my son asked for all those things, but because my son came to me as his father and he reasoned in the confidence of me being his father that I could give him all the things he asked for. This is the same thing with our own prayer request unto God. God delights when his children recognize and we come and put our petitions before him, it is a recognition that we believe that our heavenly father can supply all of our requests. <laughs> he, he'll give us our request, and that if anybody could supply them, he would do this for us. It is the recognition that we truly believe that every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. Now also notice this. My son climbed in the bed last night and exercised this petition to me for his birthday because he was my son. He exercised his rights. You see, if the neighbor kid comes down the street to me and offers up their birthday request to me and begins to tell me all the things that they would like to have from me because their birthday's tomorrow, the first thing I'm going to say is, have you told your father about this list? Because I is not your daddy. But my son, you see, that caused me to roll over. That caused me to turn the phone off. That caused me to take the earbuds out. That caused me to look into his eyes and listen with full intentment about what this boy was petitioning from his father. You see what happened? I loved him. He loves me. And he expects this from me. And he believes that I can make this happen. And that does me good. When we gave him his gifts this morning, he didn't kick back to me and his mom and say, you came up short. Didn't you know all the things I petitioned from you? He smiled in love and excitement and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so it is for us, is it not? Our heavenly father loves us. Don't disconnect that. The feeling that you feel when your child looks to you or someone that you love dearly looks to you and makes a request of you, that emotion that you feel is still been altered and affected by sin, yet God with the purest love that is ever known looks upon us and loves us even purer and even more. We say this, but I don't know if we really recognize this. God is 
love. In this love that he has for us is beyond our understanding. Yet the needs of others, you know, it doesn't do nothing for us, does it? But the love of our own. Charles Spurgeon said this, Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the arm of omnipotence. <laughs> it is what God <laughs> causes God to move his arm and act upon us. That is all it is. Yet when my son says, Dad, I hear him well. Yet when our heavenly father hears us crying out to him, he hears us well. So we see this command, call unto me. We see this confidence that he will answer us. Call unto me and I will answer thee. And so the great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Here is the claim. The claim is that when we call unto him, that he will answer us. And the claim is that when we walk away from him in prayer, there's going to be some things that we learned that we did not know. That we're going to be enlightened in a way that we had never known before. When you see this word, mighty, notice what it means here. It really kind of brings this text to light. When we say, and so the great and mighty things, what is being painted here is an impregnable city. This word mighty here references the Hebrew word Baal Tazar. It means fortified. It means inaccessible. It means fenced. So we must ask ourselves, what is fenced? What is fortified? What does it mean when he says, I will show thee great and fortified things, great and fenced things, great and inaccessible things? What is these things? Well, it means that insight and understanding to the things which we do not know is not gained by our own strength, but these things in which we do not know and we do not have access to is gained by prayer. I will show you great and fenced, fortified truths that you don't know and you can't get. And the only way you can get them is when you call me. But if you call me, I'm going to answer you and I guarantee to give them to you. Jeremiah petitioned God and God revealed him some things while he sat in prison. God had to remind Jeremiah, it's time to pray. Call unto me. And you know what? Jeremiah did. And then you know what you see coming out on the outskirts of Jeremiah's prayer? Verses 4 and 5. God then enlightens Jeremiah about his condition. Then God enlightens Jeremiah about the situation, about the people who imprisoned him. Then God brings to Jeremiah's understanding that, Jeremiah, this is a prison time for you, but this is not your end. But for the people in verses 4 and 5, it is surely their end. Destruction is going to fall upon them for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel concerning the houses of this city and concerning the houses of the kings of Judah, which are thrown down by the mount and by the sword. They will come to fight with the Chaldeans, but it is to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I have slain in my anger and in my fury. And for all those 
uh, for all whose wickedness I have hid my face from this city. The Lord showed Jeremiah their end. But don't miss this. He showed them their end, but it was after the matter of prayer. That's when it was all given. So we say to ourselves, do we need help resisting temptation? Do you need help? Do you need help resisting temptation? You're going to get it. When? After the matter of prayer. You want victory over sin in your life? You're going to get it. When? After the matter of prayer. Tough decisions to make in your life? You're going to get it. Answers. After the matter of prayer. Reconciliation for broken relationships? You're going to get help in there. When? After the matter of prayer. Do you need grace to be faithful in a hard assignment? Grace. Yeah. But when you go get it after the matter of prayer, whatever it is to you, whatever the matter is in your life, you can get help. But it's only after prayer. It was said that a, a father went for a bike ride with his son. And as they went for this bike ride, they was riding together down the trail. And as they was going down the trail, the father called his son to a complete stop as they faced a fallen branch in the trail. The father decided instead of going around the branch, he was going to use this for a moment of help, a life lesson, so to say, for him and his son. So the father instructed his son to pull the branch out of the way. The boy pushed, the boy pulled, but was unable to move the branch. He said back to his father, I cannot do it. And I've been going so long on this, I'm exhausted. The father said, sure you can, son. And the boy began to pull and pull. And the father said, son, be sure to use all your strength. The boy tried even harder, but he could not move the branch with tears pouring down his face now. He said, Father, I cannot do this. He said, Son, are you sure you used all your strength? He said, I've done it all. The father said, No, you haven't, son. And the boy said, Well, what else can I do? He said, You could just ask your father to help you move the branch. You see, we're facing matters in our life, exhausted, can't figure out how to move it. Can't figure out how to get past it. Don't even know how to handle it. We're crying out. We're exhausted. I'm winded. I'm frustrated. I don't know what else to do. But have you asked your father? There's no need for us to be exhausted handling the matters of this life. Jesus is the answer for us. And he tells us what? Call unto him. And God told Jeremiah, call unto me. The answer is still the same about the matters of life. Call, and he'll be there to answer, and he'll show us things that we could not access in any other way besides prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you this evening, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love, Lord, that you've bestowed upon us, Lord. We thank you for this command. It seems... Uh, ridiculous that your children who know you're omnipotent, omniscient, and all of these things to us, that you would even have to remind us to call unto you. Nevertheless, even on our own 
weakness, you look down upon us on top of saving us and refresh our minds and say, call unto me. Lord, we'll put this in the forethought of our minds. Put your name upon our lips. Put our request upon our hearts that we petition you daily and make the call unto you. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.